Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. And a big thanks to Kusha's Bayou Rouge, who allows us to bring this program your way commercial free. In business over 16 years here in Tallahassee, tabbed best of Tallahassee by Tallahassee Magazine four straight years, Tommy, and six out of the last seven. And I got to set the record straight here. So I married into uh, somebody from New Orleans. Outkicked my coverage as many of us did. It's not about temperature. Is that where you're going? It, it is because I think there's a, a misnomer out there that Cajun food means it's hot and it doesn't. What it means is it's flavorful and it's doggone good. And trust me, I spent a lot of time because of said wife, Laura, who is from New Orleans uh, at Kusha's Bayou Rouge. So I encourage you guys to do the same. And uh, they're open seven days a week, have breakfast uh, Wednesday through Sunday. I get there often with my son, Garrett. You should go as well. Make it a Sunday staple. That's what the uh, FSU football coaching staff has done. Matter of fact, Kusha's caters for the coaching staff uh, every Sunday during this football season. They break down the tape and get set for uh, the next opponent. So, again, thanks to Kusha's. They are on Thomasville Road on the west side just past Cary Forest. Now, with that said, here's Front Row Knowles. Seminal Sunday. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles, Seminal Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. This is Front Row Knowles, Seminal Sunday. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you in a day removed or a day and a half removed. Uh, it doesn't feel much better than it did Friday night when we left Chestnut Hill, KJ. Uh, not a lot really to analyze in this one. We'll hear from Jimbo shortly, and he pretty much summed it up in his opening comment when he said that uh, we just got whipped physically, offensively, defensively, special teams, and got out to coach too. I mean, it was just a total credit to BC, but a total implosion for Florida State. I think it's uh, the one thing that those that are on the fringe uh, that are out for blood, the sharks that are circling, this is the game they're going to point to. They're going to point to this one, Tommy, just like they did the Wake Forest game uh, of, uh, what was it, 07? 06. 06. Uh, and they're going to say, this is what's wrong with our program, and this is why wholesale changes are need, and I'm not sure they're not wrong. I think systemically, um, you know, the age-old continuing to do it the same way, uh, but still having the bad result comes into play. And, and I think right now this is a direct uh, embarrassment and a result of the Louisville game and the fact that these kids could not get over it. Uh, the effort I didn't think was great. Uh, the coaching game plan was not good. Uh, the execution was horrible and it wasn't just one segment. And I think, uh, a complete and total, uh, what will they say up in Boston? Epic fail. Wicked, wicked fail. A wicked fail is how you would characterize this. Now, does that mean that we all need to launch ourselves off of the bridge and disband the program and forget and never utter the word FSU football again? Nope, nope. It just means that we've hit rock bottom and that there are some things that need to be changed immediately, bigger things that need to be changed at the end of the year, end of the season, including including the types of players that Florida State is bringing in, and that all needs to be evaluated and candidly candidly needs to be changed don't know what it needs to go right or left don't know if it needs to go 30 degrees or 50 degrees or 100 degrees but we're at the point now where you've got to make some changes or um, you're just sticking your head in the sand and ignoring reality when you compare it to 06 wake forest to me there are some notable differences here there's a lot more talent on this team than was on the 06 team so when you say bring in different kinds of kids, I mean this team, this this roster has more four and five stars, i.e. better 
better athletes there. You're talking about kids that buy in better, and, and part of that is, uh, you know, how are you coaching them too? No question, uh, but but let's go back and, and start just real quickly with recruiting. One of the things that I think we've fallen into a trap of is other people are evaluating the kids and saying this is a five-star, this is a four-star, this is a three-star. We've got to go back and re reevaluate. Are we looking at these kids about how they fit into the FSU program? Because I'd rather have a three-star kid that wants to be at Florida State and will give you maximum effort and maybe doesn't have a good chance of going to the NFL than bringing in a five-star kid that's all about himself, A, has never learned to play football because he's been able to do it on his talent, B, has never been a team player because he's always been the star, C, is not a good student because he's never had to work hard in the classroom, and D, is a prima donna because he's been told how good he is for all of his career. I think we need lesser numbers of those and more football players that you can mold and make into the type of kids that are going to be here as juniors and seniors and are going to play with each other in a, in a, in a bonded kind of way and not for each individual kind of way. One thing that bears noting is that when Jimbo first got here, which was a result of that 06 Wake Forest game, which you talked about, Obviously, he was offensive coordinator, and then he became head coach in waiting. But even with the head coach in waiting tag, he was allowed to go out on the road and evaluate much more than what you can do as a head coach. So if you think about the foundation that was laid with Jimbo and prospects, because he is a great evaluator of talent, I'm talking about guys like LaMarcus Joyner and some of those really program-defining players that came in early in Jimbo's tenure and I don't follow recruiting enough to know specifically who identified which player and was there, but the bigger picture point is that Jimbo was able to get out and about more frequently. They don't let head coaches do it. Jimbo will call it a lazy man's rule because head coaches don't want to get out as much anymore. But that's one of Jimbo's strengths that is neutralized by being a head coach compared to being an assistant coach. And has he instilled upon the assistant coaches who are going to get the predominant amount of the time with the prospects Look, these are the the key things to look for. And when I say that, I'm talking specifically about mental and emotional and, and the background work that needs to be done there in talking with academic advisors, with homeroom teachers, with um, uh, assistant coaches, not just the head coach at the high school, but the, the, the segment coach that worked with them. Maybe even going back and working with the the kids' uh, junior high coach or their 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 t-ball coach or you know if they ran track those types of things and and Jimbo impressing upon his coaches these are qualities and traits that we want to look for. I had occasion to be with Coach Bowden a couple of weeks ago and this sounds so simplistic and it sounds so silly, but 40 years ago, Tommy, the number one thing that that Coach Bowden would ask an assistant coach when that coach came in and said, we need to offer this kid. The number one thing that Coach Bowden would ask his assistant coach is, will this kid fight? Will he fight or will he give up? I'm not interested in how fast he runs per se. I'm not interested in how big and strong he is per se. But if we bring him in, is he going to continue to strive to get better? And when we get into a ball game, will he fight and not quit? And if that segment coach could not attest to that, then that kid was not offered. 
And if that segment coach did attest to it, and that kid came in and one or two years down the road didn't meet that quality, that assistant coach was held accountable for that decision. And I think that whole issue of accountability is another topic we ought to talk about. Maybe not necessarily this show, but this whole concept of accountability and dependability is something that this Florida State team is lacking right now. Before we dig deeper on that, let's listen to Jimbo Fisher's post-game comments after Boston College got a, a convincing 35-3 to win, just dominant in all three phases over Florida State. And quite truthfully, they pulled uh, off the gas pedal, too, in the second half and just lined up and ran it and ran the clock, or it would have been much worse. This was Jimbo Fisher as he met the media on Friday evening in Chestnut Hill. Give BC a lot of credit. They lined up and beat us in all three phases of the game. They beat us up front both ways, both offensive and defensive line. They controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, we had opportunities in the uh, first half, didn't match. They hit a nice trick play, moved the ball. We hit one. We get down there and fumble, which I thought was very critical in the game on a base hand, just a, just a handoff that we did it. Same, you know, typical, not different play, but uh, didn't have that. That was very critical in the game. And then the other turnover, I thought, in the first half, when we hit a big play, got back to midfield, just missed a read through to the wrong guy and uh, should hit the outside guy. And those two critical turnovers were very big. Second half, the short yardages really hurt. And then the uh, also the uh, they ran the football, were able to establish a line of scrimmage, did a good job of pounding it up in there. Their backs did a great job of running the football. We had to do a better job and give up a couple third down stops. Even when we had them pinned back, we could have got field position back and still had a chance for points. They made the critical plays in the game that way. We had the two mistakes in the kicking game. We filled the punt too deep and then got pinned on the two, which caused us the possession. Then we the ball hit and then should have never fielded it and uh, turned it over on a punt. And uh, all of those three critical – we had uh, – Three critical turnovers with the fumble, the interception, and the uh, fumble on the punt, which was all led to points. Uh, missing uh, short yardages in every phase. They beat us. They lined up, kicked our tails, and, and outplayed us, outcoached us, did everything. And uh, we got to do a better job. That's Jimbo Fisher from Friday Night in Chestnut Hill, and that's courtesy of Seminoles.com. For complete Florida State coverage, log on to Seminoles.com at all times, and uh, including Jimbo Fisher's Monday press conference, which will be an interesting one tomorrow, no question. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left in this segment, Keith, so I don't know how much more big picture we can go for now. But Jimbo did comment on the fact, and a lot of the players said so after the game as well, that uh, there's this uh, they're, they're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And I don't know that you and I phrased it that way, but we've talked about this for a couple weeks, whether you call it they're playing without confidence, their opponents are playing with confidence. But there has been a doubt, and it neutralizes any uh, athletic advantage that Florida State has. If you line up at your position and you're questioning either your own ability or whether the guy next to you is doing the job or whether the coach made the right call, as soon as you have that doubt creep in, it affects the and impacts the play. And how it affects is that you are not as sharp. So you're a half a second late either doing something or making a decision. And obviously, uh, cliche, he who hesitates is lost. But that doubt, that hesitation is what keeps you from from making a play. It keeps you a yard away from where you're supposed to be. It keeps you from from uh, you know reading something correctly. It keeps you from engaging that eye discipline that coach talks all about. And and Jimbo's exactly right. This is a team that is playing Tommy, they're playing scared. They're playing scared because they don't not have the confidence that they know what they're doing and can execute what they're doing. That sounds like coaching 100% but that's some coaching and a whole lot of hesitation and, and just mental 
lack of preparedness and lack of confidence on the player's part. Uh, so it's both sides of that equation. You can't you can't say it's one or the other. It's both, and 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 it's just evident in all segments of 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 the game. Offense, defense, special teams, any segment of the offense or the defense. I mean, it, it is an absolute and complete and utter epic fail. I like that better than the other one. Epic over wicked? Yep. You didn't do a very good Boston accent anyway. I can't do a Boston You know what I need? A break. A buffalo chicken po' boy from my good friend Koosh. I think that's what I called for last week, the way this season is going. I may be eating a lot of those on Sunday. But uh, I encourage you, your family, your friends, Everybody, get in the car, walk, however you want to get there. Head down to Kusha's. They are located on Thomasville Road. If you're heading uh, north or on the left side, just past Cary Forest. They serve breakfast five days a week from Wednesday through Sunday. They're open seven days a week. They've got the games on the TV screens. It is uh, Cajun food, uh, but uh, a deeper menu than that. And whatever it is, it's uh, high-quality food, kid-friendly as well. Tell them that we at uh, Front Row Knowles sent uh, you their way. We'll step aside, come back, and talk more about Florida State's 35-3 to drubbing at the hands of Boston College right after this. Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday, is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Boston College 35, Florida State 3. And FSU now is two and five on the season, Keith. Let's talk about the offense. There wasn't a lot to like from what we saw the other night. Obviously, as has been stated, as FSU fans know, you've been playing with a true freshman quarterback. You lost a lineman. Your whole receiving core has been banged up. Jaquez Patrick's absence uh, looked pretty noticeable the other night. But all in all, as as Jimbo said, FSU just got whipped. Uh, on on all sides of the ball, and there was just no running game of uh, of any sort. You know, even in in the loss at Louisville and 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 the win prior to that, Florida State had had uh, you know at least one running back over a hundred yards and another close to it. But in this BC game, you know, Cam gets the start as you mentioned. Patrick's out, and and nothing happens. Uh, I mean, this is the first game that I would say that the offensive line failed miserably in their run approach. Uh, we'll talk about the passing in just a minute, but whatever FSU tried to do had very, very little success. Uh, we had known about uh, you know BC's defensive ends and how great they were at rushing the passer. I was unbelievably impressed with their linebackers. Uh, their linebacker play was as good as any two I have seen uh, all year long, and FSU just literally could not get anything going. They didn't appear to me, Tommy, to shoot a lot of gaps a lot of the time. I think they just held their own. I think it was just a night where Florida State's offensive line didn't come to play. They didn't show up. And and as a result, they didn't get anything going. There was no momentum. And, and FSU, you know, just tried and tried and tried to, to, to run the ball and was just absolutely unsuccessful. Now, we'll talk about this, but short fields guided, uh, aided rather, uh, BC's offense a little bit. And and some of the time Florida State was backed up when they were taking over the ball offensively. And right, wrong, or Jim, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, Jimbo's very, very conservative when he's backed up uh, in terms of what he's willing to go for. Although he did go for fourth down, we'll talk about that a little later as well. Uh, really backed up, but that was more score related. Uh, I, I was just real disappointed in the way the offensive line played, and it's the first game that I think I would say that uh, as as total disappointment. Save for maybe the Wake Forest game when it was a was a breakdown, but. How much of this now, as we look at it, this is six games into James Blackman's tenure, 
and no knock on James, but the passing game, it, you know, is not evolved to the point that you would like to have your passing game evolved. And so, bottom line, teams are lining up. They're looking at it and saying, we're going to put everybody in the box, and we're going to make your freshman quarterback beat us. And they did that. Uh, you know, they put seven and eight in the box, and again, we'd have to go back at individual plays and look at the call sheets and that type of thing. You wonder, you know, where their situations were a more um, mature quarterback, mature in terms of experience, could have checked out of some running plays into short passes or runs back the other side that would have been more advantageous man-on-man, you know, uh, how you matched up. Don't know. You have to ask Jimbo that question. But I think the overall overriding thing is, is that that offensive line didn't, tr- didn't take over the offensive line of scrimmage and, and absolutely was dominated by their opponents. And as a result, the running game never got started. Erman Lane was moved from safety back to receiver where he been his, began his career. It sort of surprised me that it took uh, this long maybe for that to happen, given the fact that Florida State just has had no depth at receiver. He had one catch. It's not going to uh, change things, except that you, at least you do have a guy there who was talented coming out of high school and has played a couple years at that position. Well, and we had talked in prior games about how, you know, why don't we go ahead and move the, the one or one or more of the tailbacks out? And candidly Jimbo did that. There was there was three or four plays when uh Akers was the was the wide out to the wide side and there were plays where both Rasul and Cam were in there and they were both in the slot. So they were using personnel in a more varied way, but unfortunately they were already down. Most of this happened early in the third quarter and middle part of the third quarter. You were already down 21 points, uh, plus or minus, at halftime. So you're playing from behind. You're having to do some things that you know are very predictable and one-dimensional. And as a result, you can't, as you mentioned earlier, you can't maximize your, your athletic pro- uh, dominance because you're having to do something that the defense has pinned you into the corner to do. Another point is that Cam Akers is not as good from a pass pro standpoint as Jacques Patrick is, and, and Akers will get there, but he's not there now. And so there were, you know, there's sometimes where Florida State went empty and they went five wide because if you left Akers in the backfield, uh, you know, maybe it's 50 50 at best that he's going to get a hat on the right guy. And so they went empty. So, I mean, that factored into what Florida State could execute or call as well. No question. And there were at least three or four balls where, you know, Blackman's got to get the ball out of there, even if it's a throwaway. You hold that ball for four, four and a half seconds, you're going to get nailed. And candidly, there were some other plays where he made some very good throws. Uh, He only completed 11 or 12 passes, I think, uh, for the contest. But several of those were very good throws. But as soon as he delivered the ball, he was hammered. I mean, there were four or five times when he was very, very slow getting up. and, And you were wondering whether he was going to be able to continue to play. He's been tough. There's no question about it. But uh, I, I do think we're we're bordering right on the brink of when you have to play a kid as a true freshman and you're trying not to ruin him above the neck, as you like to say, for the long term. Uh, I think we're getting close to that right now because it, he's starting to, I, I would suspect, starting to wear down a little bit. Well, and you're getting close to potentially doing that with Akers, Tommy, relative to his pass pro because he was not good in pass protection. Uh, you used that 50-50 analogy. I don't, I don't know what his success rate was, but I think it was somewhere in the teens or the 20% that he found the right guy and blocked the right guy and was able to block the right guy. Uh, and as a result, uh, there were a lot of, uh, of similar colored jerseys. Well, that's not true. Florida State was in white. We'll just call them the maroon jerseys that were spending way too much time in Florida State's backfield. 
a byproduct of the injury to Jacques Patrick is that Amir Rasul got a little bit more of an opportunity. Granted, he only had four catches, the lion's share, I mean, four carries, the lion's share went to Akers. But Rasul has nice burst, and he has the best speed probably of uh, any of the running backs there. And uh, I had a chance to, to talk with Amir after the game. Obviously, when you lose 35-3, to there's not a lot of heroes on uh, on any side of the ball. But uh, well-spoken kid who's in his second year, highly touted out of uh, Coral Gables originally. And here's that conversation with Amir. Amir, first of all, I know it's uh, obviously tough in light of the circumstances right now. I mean, uh, the yards were tough to come by. What did, what did BC do that posed such a challenge for you guys out there offensively tonight? Um, you know, they came out and they played on real good defense. And uh, I believe that we were ready. But, you know, um, you know every dog has their day. And um, I guess uh, today was uh, BC's day. And, um, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to work extra hard and we're going to get better. That's all I can say. Yeah, obviously the season hasn't unfolded the way you want it to. So how do you make sure that, uh, you know, the guys do stick together and work hard and, and put this behind you as you get ready for next week? Uh, we all, we've always had a good bond since the start of fall camp. So I'm not worried about us doing anything. I'm just ready to get back to camp and do what we got to do, get back to practice and do what we got to do and just get better. That's all we need to do is get better. For you personally, and I know uh, it comes in a, in a tough loss, but you got, and it came in part because of the, the injury to Jacquez Patrick, uh, but you've had to wait your turn a little bit. I know you're still young, just a sophomore, but uh, you got some opportunities out there tonight, and I think you had 25 yards rushing, had a couple of kick returns, so it must it must feel good personally to at least know that you're getting out there and get a chance to contribute. Oh, of course, of course. You know, I'm, uh, first and foremost, I'm... Um, I hope Jock gets better real soon. You know, we we love him, and you know we surgery went well for him. You know, thank God, and um, you know I'm grateful, grateful always. I'm grateful for um, um, just the yards and everything. And uh, yeah, it was a it's a it's been a it's been a wait, but you know, God opens doors for you. So so I can share. Well, keep your head. I appreciate a few minutes of your time, and best of luck to you and the team the rest of this year. Understood. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Amir Rasul's numbers, four carries for 25 yards. He did have a key drop, uh, if memory serves, uh, on a third down play that would have been an easy conversion. Also had a couple of kick returns. So he's factoring in more, and I think you'll see more of him. Uh, again, small sample size, Keith, but uh, another good athlete for FSU. Well, I think the coaching staff has confidence in him. Uh, and if you want to pick out one player, he is one guy that, you know, when he was in there, saved uh, the one drop. You know, he looked like he was trying. Uh, not not to say that the others weren't, but it was it was obvious that he was taking advantage of the opportunity to play because he'd gotten so few touches before then. Um, and, and he's got some talent. Uh, I remember one run in particular when the offense was working right to left as the television was on. Uh, he took the ball in the backfield and, you know, it looked like he was going to hemmed up for about a three-yard gain, ended up with about a nine-yard gain, was right at the sticks because he does have that good burst. Uh, I think you'll see more of him, uh, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I hope they don't hold it against him for that drop because he's normally very, very steady with his hands. I don't want to get into we, – we rarely get into play calling, and I don't even want to get into uh, too much specifics from this game because it was, it was just a whipping. But if you, if you look back at the way this game started, BC misses a field goal. The next drive, BC goes down and gets a touchdown. As controversial we're, touchdown. Controversial as we're recording. I still haven't seen a, a great replay. But regardless, it's 7-0 BC, and Florida State answers with its own trick play, gets down to first and goal at the six, and has a chance – to tie that game at 7-7, seven, seven, 
and instead a second straight week you get a botched exchange between Blackman and Akers. And we talked about that because I think the the fumble in the Louisville game was really detrimental to Blackman's um, confidence. And now you back that up with an, another one where it was a just a poor, poor exchange on a handoff that you and I've talked about. You do it 200 times a day in practice. There's just there's just no margin for error there. It has to be uh, successfully completed, and they didn't for a second game in a row. And you're right, Florida State with an opportunity to tie the score up. Who knows how huge that was in terms of the psyche and the confidence of this young club. Well, and this is where the game just basically was over at this point. So it's 7 nothing, and in the next couple of possessions, uh, BC on the subsequent possession after the Acres fumble ends up driving the ball 30 or 40 yards, 30 or 40 yards, punts the ball, and it's the ball that McFadden should let go into the end zone uh, and instead fields it at the two, and the field is flipped at that point, which allows BC to get another touchdown and go up 14 nothing on the subsequent possession. And and we had said for a week or longer, at least I had, that you got to get uh, McFadden out of there. He is not a punt returner. For whatever reason, though he's very gifted athletically, he just can't return punts. And before you start fussing at me, uh, let me just remind you, I was the primary punt returner my sophomore year in college. I know that was 30-something years ago, but it ain't changed, okay? It ain't changed. I know how it's done, and I know what you got to do in order to make it happen. And those principles and fundamentals haven't changed. He ain't got them, so don't let him back there anymore. Well, and we didn't see him after another mistake uh, later in the game, and, and we'll discuss that uh, when we continue. Florida State loses 35-3 to to Boston College on Friday night. We'll uh, talk about McFadden and the defense as we continue the conversation right after this. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom. Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Tom and Keith back with you as uh, we continue the discussion about Florida State and Boston College. And, KJ, we were talking about McFadden, and I don't, I don't want to pick on one guy, but just to finish up the punt return conversation, obviously he fumbled one later in the game, uh, a ball that he shouldn't have tried to field, and it gave BC a short field at the 11-yard line. And after that, D.J. Matthews was in as your punt returner. And, and that was the right thing to do. It was maybe a punt or two late, and having that happen, we saw Matthews. Looked very comfortable back there. He made a fair catch. He called up, came up and caught one that he didn't fair catch, and he had a return that ended up being called back on a, on a holding call. Uh, he looked much more comfortable back there. The one thing I would say specifically about McFadden, Tommy, uh, and, and, and there's no other way to sugarcoat this, but I'm, I'm not comfortable and confident with how football smart McFadden is. And the reason I say that is BC had a situation where it was fourth down in Florida State territory, and they threw a fade pattern to the outside. And it's a ball that McFadden went up and and intercepted, although he was ruled out of bounds, and subsequently the replay proved that he was out of bounds. But that's a ball you don't catch. It's fourth down. You go up and you knock that ball down, and you save the field position. If he had been inbounds intercepting the ball, Florida State would have had the ball inside of the 10 instead of having the ball at the 40. That's lack of football knowledge, lack of football smarts, and that's my criticism of McFadden. It's not his physical ability, and and though he sometimes doesn't give good effort, I'll I'll let the coaches determine when he is and isn't loafing, but that just proves and shows to me that he's not very smart football-wise. There's nothing, I mean, that's just a fact, a statement. 
Well, and it cost Florida State some short fields. So let's go bigger picture here, and then and then we'll get into this. So in the second half, BC scored two touchdowns. One of them was after the McFadden fumble. They took over at the 11-yard line. Another one they took over at FSU's 24 after FSU failed to convert on fourth down. Now, to be fair, BC called off the dogs and lined up in the eye, and basically for a quarter and a half, that's what they did. Uh, in the first half, though, they got a short field on one uh, that McFadden caught at the two. FSU subsequently punted from its own three, didn't make it across midfield, or BC started that next drive uh, in FSU plus territory and went on to score. That said, uh, defensively in the first half, there were three pass interference calls, one on McFadden, one on Derwin James, one on Matthew Thomas. There was a play where uh, Nazrul Dean wasn't sure what to do. I don't know if he missed the call. I don't know if he didn't understand his assignment, but he tried to come off for a play, then got rushed on late, wasn't sure where to line up. FSU got away with that one. There was one other play in the game where FSU got flagged for too many guys on the field. Trey Marshall uh, got injured on that play, got dinged is what it looked like to me, and he should have just taken a knee because then FSU wouldn't have gotten the penalty there. Instead, it looked like he was jogging off the field, which was not the – I mean, he was jogging off the field, but he was just sort of unaware, should have taken a knee, and then that penalty would have happened. I'm going a long way to say that uh, the defense got whipped too when you you go back and and start at the the head of this game. When you look at the statistics, uh, BC had, what, 327 yards of total offense. You wouldn't necessarily say that your defense played poorly by only giving up that many yards. But because of the short field and because of BC taking advantage of the short field, they they scored 35 points. So therefore, you have to view your defense as having not performed well. And uh, I think the one guy that I would take my hat off and say that uh, he still gets my positive comment is Derwin James. Uh, he had 13 tackles in the ball game. Uh, there were a couple of times when I noticed, because I was paying specific attention to him, he was barking at his teammates. He was trying to get people lined up. He was trying to get people excited and motivated. Uh, he was not happy with what was going on. But candidly, uh, he was one of a few. We'd have to go back and look at the tape. And the eye formation, Tommy, it's very hard for your defensive tackles to really shine because they're usually going to get double teamed. So I'm not prepared to say that Naughty and Christmas did not have a good game. I'd have to go back and look at the tape. But by running out of the eye the way BC did, one or both of them are going to get double teamed, and it's very hard. I mean, all you can do a double team is hold your own. You're not expected to make the tackle. So I'd have to go back and look at the tape to see how they perform. But other than those few, uh, it was a very uninspired effort defensively. Matthew Thomas had 15 tackles, and he, uh, you know, the last year and a half or so, has he's basically been a double-digit tackle guy per game for the most part. Uh, so there's that. There is, uh, but the one thing I would tell you about Thomas is, is he's a senior, and you don't ever hear the other players talking about his vocal leadership ability. He's a very quiet guy, and I would prefer being one of the few senior players people on that defensive side of the ball that he become more vocal and more active and become more of a leader uh, verbally. Um, But that's not been the case. He has performed well, uh, but I guess we're just grasping at straws because we want more out of him because we're not getting more out of others. Well, if you look at the defense, there's a lot of seniors there, especially as linebackers, because you have Roderick Hoskins and Jacob Pugh as well. Uh, Obviously, Ermon Lane moved back to offense. Nate Andrews is there, but Nate probably is not on the field enough to be that guy, truthfully, because he sees uh, some some duty in terms of uh, being uh, in their nickel or dime package, I guess is what it is. And up front, uh, you know, you got Nottie, who's just a quiet 
spoken guy. So for all the seniors there, I'm not sure really at this point, who would you say the leader of the defense is? Derwin. Derwin would have to be it. And not only that, Derwin's probably the leader of the team. I mean, I, I would be interested and, and it would be sacred ground that we should not even talk about or be around, but I would be interested in who is saying anything, you know, in that last few moments before you go out for the game and the last few moments before you go out at halftime, who's saying what, if anything. And I would be willing to bet you there's not a lot being said by anybody. We had a chance, or I had a chance to talk to Brian Burns uh, after the game. Burns did have a nice hustle play that came a week after DeMarcus Christmas made one of those run 70 yards as a D tackle and make the tackle on Lamar Jackson. Burns didn't run quite as far, and uh, he's fleeter of foot, obviously, than DeMarcus Christmas, but showed some effort on a, a play where he brought down BC's tailback. But obviously... Uh, it was a disappointed Florida State locker room, and here's that conversation with Brian Burns. Brian, that was a tough one tonight. Uh, I, I know going in that you guys had to be prepared for, uh, you know, a lot of misdirection, and boy, they hit you with it right off the start. Uh, just talk about the challenges that their offensive posed for you guys. Um, with their offense, I mean, they did a great job with their offense. They, you have to keep your eyes on your man. You have to remain disciplined um, for any trick thing, any trick schemes or whatnot. And then you also have to play man-to-man football and be physical and uh, stop them up front. This was one of those games where it seemed like the field position battle was always tilted in favor of Boston College. How tough is that for you guys defensively when you got to go out there and get a stop in a sudden change situation and they're basically already in the red zone? I mean, it's tough, but, I mean, we, we've done it before, so uh, no excuses. You know, um, we, don't need to, we don't need to harp on the, the excuses of not getting, not getting the job done. I mean, as a defense, we're supposed to stop them from getting in the end zone no matter where they're at. So, I mean, it's just on us. There was a play, I think it was in the first half, but my memory could be off, but you basically hustled from the line of scrimmage and made a tackle 40 yards downfield. Uh, last week we saw DeMarcus Christmas make a similar play on Lamar Jackson, so uh, how important is it for everybody to know that no matter the play, no matter the situation, that's the kind of effort that it takes? It really is the kind of effort it takes. I mean, um, yeah, that was a great play I made, but there's a lot more I should have done that I didn't. But, um, I mean, it's just if you see somebody running with the ball, you don't want them to score, go get them. That's basically it. How do you guys uh, turn things around at this point? I mean, I know it's a depressed, dejected locker room. Nobody thought this team would be 2-5 and five right now, and there's a lot of talent in there. So how do you start playing, you know, with confidence again? Um, like I always say, we got to remain positive, you know, um, motivate each other, support each other throughout everything, through our losses, uh, whatever injuries, anything that, that's happening in our team, we have to play for each other. And um, we can't get too involved with the media and, and get – deterred from our, our mission so i mean we just got to remain positive and get after it all right i appreciate a few minutes of your time thank you brian no problem brian burns again that was after the loss on friday I, i'll say this key this is one of the things that surprised me the most about this defense this year and that is just how much they have missed demarcus walker in terms of getting a pass rush because they're they have been unable to to use the the football speak that you'll hear from jimbo and charles kelly and others to affect the quarterback the opposing quarterback as much as I thought that this defense would be able to do. And remember, in DeMarcus's case, they would go to that dime rabbit and move him in over a guard. He'd actually be playing a true tackle position, and because of his strength and, and, and quickness, was able to defeat whoever was in front of him. Yeah, they have not been able, with any consistency, to get a pass rush. You've seen glimpses of, of, of Pew and Sweat and Burns, but, but nobody with any consistency. So, therefore, that's not been a fear. Uh, and, and additionally, Florida State has not blitzed a lot, and therefore – 
you know, teams have not had to go their hot read, their blitz reads, and convert when they've got to make quick decisions. Uh, you know, I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't think it's put the ears back and blitz 80% of the time and just roll the dice and see what happens. Um, but certainly they have missed Walker, and no one has stepped in his shoes. All right, we will uh, try to turn the page and talk about what Florida State does from here. They have Syracuse coming up. We'll do that momentarily. I'll remind you again that uh, this program is brought your way, in part because of the fine folks at Kush's Bayou Rouge coming soon to College Town, which uh, means twice as much uh, fun and culinary enjoyment, uh, if you will, since they're already on the north side of town. But uh, I encourage you to head on down to Kush's. Tell them that uh, Keith and Tom said that uh, they should pay Kush's a visit. And uh, like I said, I encourage you to do that. We'll talk uh, more bigger picture stuff when we continue on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. A final segment here on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Don't forget that uh, our regular show comes your way weekdays uh, at 6 p.m. right here, and that's year-round. The Seminole Sunday edition is uh, only during football season, and uh, this will be the only year that we call it Seminole Sunday because there have been only two Seminole Sundays all season long, and we're seven games in, KJ. Uh, One of the things we do each week is we uh, pick out, uh, well, I'll let you explain, but it was hard to find a performance of the game in this one. It is time now for our prime meridian performance of the game, and uh, the fallback becomes the pass from Cam Akers, to, to, to Nyquan Murray, Nui Murray. Uh, it was early in the ball game. Akers, the former high school quarterback, uh, completed a 47-yard strike down the field. Remember, uh, first play of the game, uh, BC had come out with the double reverse pass, or first early play of the game, double reverse pass, and uh, Florida State counters with a halfback pass, and that is our prime Meridian Bank performance of the game. We'll remind you that if you're shopping for, Mah- for a home mortgage, try my bank for the best rate the first time. Prime Meridian Bank, Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at TryMyBank.com. Prime Meridian Bank member, FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 393620. Prime Meridian Bank, check them out. All right. That said, we have Syracuse coming to town. Florida State took a day off, uh, which was probably needed and welcomed by everybody on Saturday. Just get away from it, clear your head. So they'll have a day more prep to get ready for Syracuse here than you normally would. Syracuse is a tempo team. Syracuse is another team that is playing with confidence, uh, believing in, in what they're doing there. And it's a problem that Florida State has to get rectified in terms of forget scheme, forget everything else. If, if they can't get the attitude fixed in terms of going out there and changing things to we're going out here to win instead of playing scared, as you put it earlier, or playing not to lose, uh, well, then you're going to be losing again. So that's the first thing they got to fix. I was going to say two things become my primary focus. First one is attitude, and that's going to be from the coaches. That's going to be from the seniors. That's going to be from your upperclassmen. Uh, that's hopefully going to be from classmates in classrooms uh, talking to kids, uh, passing them on the sidewalk. I mean, come on, guys. we we got to get after it. Now is not the time to lay down. Now is not the time to bellyache. We, we are where we are. From a schematic standpoint, Tommy, now's the time. If you were going to bring a kid in on the third or fourth series of the game, you bring him in on the second series. If you were going to play a kid 30 snaps uh, and, and, and ease him into it, you play him 50 snaps. If you had certain calls you were going to make at the 50-yard line, you make those calls when you're backed up at the 30-yard line. You take some chances from a call standpoint. If you're going to blitz... 30% on third and eight, you blitz 60% on third and eight. It's time to to pull things off, 
to, to not go crazy, but to open it up. And, and you've got nothing to lose, so you might as well create uh, an environment or attempt to create an environment where you're turning kids loose to make plays. And you tell them, beginning today, Sunday, all the way through next Saturday, 12:20 kick, turn it loose. Don't hesitate. If you're going to make a mistake, make it full speed. If you're going to do the wrong thing, make it full speed. We'll correct it on the sidelines or we'll correct it after the ball game. But right now, everything's about attitude and effort, and you need to give it all when you get out there on that field. So Syracuse, and then you've got Clemson, Delaware State, and Florida. You're sitting at two wins. The Louisiana Monroe game, as we speak, has not been rescheduled. So to get bowl eligible, you have to win all four of the games that are left right there. And if they reschedule Louisiana Monroe, you have to win four out of the five. And I think rescheduling Louisiana Monroe, well, I I, I believe, I've not been told, it's not been confirmed to me, but I just personally believe that conversations, those conversations have already taken place. In other words, I would not be surprised if uh, Stan Wilcox, you know, makes an announcement on any given day that that game has, in fact, been rescheduled for Saturday uh, in which the ACC championship game would be played. I think you're going to need to. I hate that. I hate that, Tommy. I absolutely hate that you probably are going to have to play that game. But that bowl streak is so important to so many that it can't be ignored. Uh, it's important for financial reasons. It's important for, for uh, uh, reputational reasons. It's, it's just important, important to the fan base that, you know, you may have to pull the plug on doing something you wouldn't normally do. Uh, but at the same token, if you lose another ball game or two and haven't made the announcement of rescheduling it, then you maybe don't reschedule it because it doesn't accomplish anything. It serves. No, so it's, it's a slippery slope. I hope I hope we play it. I hope it becomes important. I hope we get to to six and six, uh, or or seven and five. Uh, but it's a difficult decision. Well, and separate the bowl streak, you get an extra fifteen practices, which helps with development of other guys. Uh, if you don't go to a bowl, which again doesn't look very likely for Florida State right now. Because uh, let's be truthful, th- that's not a bowl football team the way they're playing right now. Regardless of wins, whatever, just look at the eye test. That's not a team that deserves to go to a bowl. Uh, if you don't go to a bowl, the flip side is that uh, you get uh, all your coaches out on the road because there's an early signing period and there is uh, dates that you can be out for visits in early December and you're not worrying about game planning and you just that's how you handle it. Well, can I, can I bring up one more horrible negative? You're probably going to anyway. If you're not going to a bowl, you're not worried about when you let assistants go. Because you're not worried about them being around to help you. Yeah, well, that that's a true statement. It's a bad, bad statement. I hate I even said it, but that's the reality. I'm not sure, uh, as, as we finish up, Keith, uh, you know, again, Syracuse will come in and run tempo. They believe in, in Dino Babers. They have a very good quarterback in Dungy, who's a, a dual-threat guy. I mean, obviously, Syracuse beat Clemson. That was in Syracuse earlier this year. They played very well against Miami. Um, they, they've done some things, and they're not going to be intimidated when they come to Tallahassee. Certainly not going to be intimidated once they look at the tapes. Um, you know, that was one thing that Florida State always shined at, even in losses, is you would put that tape on and you could see the talent. You could see the uh, playmaking ability. You could see kids giving maximum effort. Uh, with the exception of the maximum effort, you're not seeing very much on this tape. And you're certainly not seeing maximum effort on every play by everybody on this tape. And trust me, kids watch film and they can tell. 
I do think there are a couple of things that you've got to be very careful about uh, on defense because of the fact that Syracuse really goes up tempo. Uh, you're back to the age-old things, working on uh, substitution and when you can substitute and trying to get you know uh, kept from being in, in uh, the wrong packages uh, if the offense is successful. Uh, remember, BC ran 76 plays. Uh, Syracuse will try to run 90, maybe 100. Uh, so conditioning and, and substituting on defense is going to be important. Uh, offensively, Tommy, uh, you know, I think you've got to have some a, a real heart-to-heart talk with your offensive line. Uh, you've got to have another heart-to-heart talk with some of these younger receivers. I know Tate is playing hurt. Uh, you know, Mooney has gotten better about lining up and running his routes correctly. Uh, but you're going to see the younger guys. And, and, and if, if you weren't going to play them but 10 snaps, maybe you play them 30 in this ball game, and just start getting people ready uh, because there, there's nothing to protect against. And there's everything to lose uh, if you don't go out and give maximum effort and if you don't uh, put yourself in at least the best position to try to stay with, if not beat, Syracuse. Let me ask you one last question. We'll wrap up, and this applies more to the defense because offensively, everybody is probably back. I guess Auden Tate may have a decision to make, although he's been hurt, so his numbers aren't as good as what they are. So I guess he could explore turning pro. But defensively is where you have guys that have a decision to make. You have Derwin James, you have McFadden, you have Josh Sweat, you have Demarcus Christmas. I have any of those guys Derwin Derwin has not made splash plays but is still going to be thought of as a very high pick McFadden probably or possibly will be he had numbers last year and he's got size so NFL teams will think that they can teach him to compete the way they want him to compete I I don't know I'm just and there's there's several weeks before these decisions have to be made for these kids but what are your thoughts right now about those four guys in particular they need to move on I don't I don't think there's much of a future left at Florida State and anything much for them to accomplish um, and they need to uh, do what's best for them. I will tell you with the absence of Christmas uh, that, that uh, and most of the time Derwin, those other folks are already playing for themselves individually anyway. Uh, so let's go ahead and solidify that and move them on. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We will join you again on Wednesday night at 6 for Front Row Knowles. We'll talk to you then.